0: With all the conversation about the kingdom, and and the Lord won't let me loose from that yet, and I'm not sure exactly when He will, with all the things that He's teaching and showing, and I've been at this, it feels like a long time. I know that my career as a pastor is not like many who have done this for 30 and 40 years, but I am amazed that over the course of nine years, that uh, the things that the Lord continues to teach me I know that I'm blessed. I know, and I know that at times it's very overwhelming. But this understanding of the kingdom and kingdom life, I shared this morning. This question that has to be answered in all of us: What does a holy God do with me? What does a good God do with somebody like me? How can He accept me and not lose being just? How can He accept me and not compromise His holiness? One of the strangest things about God that is hard is that as his sovereign over us, as our king, we want him to be good. We want him to be kind. We want him to be loving. But one of the most perilous things for us as humans is that God is good, and we're not. We have to process our way through this. And again, it's very unfortunate that we have taught Christianity and especially salvation to be something so shallow that it requires no processing, no considering, no understanding deeper than the fact that I said a prayer and now I'm saved. That's the typical depth of salvation. And I get to go to heaven someday. Well, I want to tell you, it's far deeper than that and what we understand about it. The depth that we're supposed to understand about it should cause us to be in a more intimate relationship with him. Because what we recognize is that how we became acceptable to God, what it took for him to accept us was the cross. Without the cross, there is no righteousness. Without the cross, there is no becoming acceptable to God because he would compromise him if he took us the way we are, then he would no longer be just. That would be approving our guilt. That would be saying yes to our sin. And we want him to do that badly. We want him, and the world has generally taught that we're just all acceptable to him. He just loves us. He certainly does. But he loved us so much that he recognized that I want a people who are unholy. I want a people who are sinners. I want to be in relationship with them. So something has to happen to reconcile this difficult problem. And something did. It reconciled on the cross when Jesus took the weight of our full punishment. He took what I deserved and it was put upon him. And again, we can understand this. And Dale taught us this pretty well from Isaiah. This shocking scripture that it pleased God to crush his son. Why? How could that please God? It was because long before this moment ever occurred, There was a moment when Jesus gave himself, not in this moment. There was a moment in eternity somewhere in that throne room, a decision was made and Jesus says, I will, I'll give myself. It wasn't required of him. He consented to this. It wasn't forced upon him. He consented to this and he paid that price that you and I couldn't pay. He took and became sin for us. He that knew no sin, we sing that. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that when he died, our sin and the consequence of it died. That's overwhelming. We need to know that. We need to know something more than Jesus saved us because with every piece of that depth, we grow more powerful. The relationship grows richer. Well, in the teaching of the kingdom, I want us to go to Luke chapter 17 and Just pick up a short piece of information here from, I'll begin reading in verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. I want to tell you that this is one of those pieces of information that again helps us understand and seal within us this truth that John the Baptist came teaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The moment, again, that the curtain over the Holy of Holies was torn, giving us full access into the presence of God. It's no small thing. It's no insignificant moment when this occurs. We have access into the Holy of Holies and into that throne room. So we get this message. That the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is within us. Already, not in the future tense. It, it's spoken of that Jesus is telling them right now this is true. Well, I want us to go back to First King. I just want to look at a piece of information just for a few minutes that's found back in here in the beginning of the building of a kingdom. Two or three interesting things at the beginning of this. I'm going to share two scriptures, verse 17 and 18, in just a second. But as I said, that God is building a heavenly kingdom. God is part of an eternal plan that has already been initiated. The first steps of this begins within our hearts. But we're reading in this passage about Solomon, who is beginning to build the temple that David desperately wanted to build. But because of what David had done and God's not allowing him to, the promise was made that there would be the one who would sit in the throne of David who would be able to build the temple. And so Solomon takes this moment very seriously. And it's all of this chapter is about a a conversation he's having with Hiram, who's another king, and about the provision of where the wood would come, the, the cedars of Lebanon would be provided for the building of this temple. So that's kind of the history of it, but it begins in those verses and it says the king commanded. So let's read verses 17 and 18 of chapter five and the king commanded and they brought great stones, costly stones and hewed stones to lay the foundation of the house and Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders did hew them and the stones squares. So they prepared timber and stones to build the house, the building of a temple, the building of a place where worship would occur, the building of the place where the kingdom would focus. This is building that temple, that relationship, the beginning of that relationship with God. So I want us to understand, and this is why I've tried over the Wednesday nights to connect us with Revelation, the way that God is asking me to connect it. I want us to connect with that throne room, I want us to understand that it is such a significant place within my story. It's not just a place. It's not just a situation. It's not just something being described as a distance. Especially when I realize it's been what he's describing is something that is also in me. That this kingdom is in me. Everything began with this one phrase, the king commanded. We do have a sovereign over us. We understand, we hear these Phrases And we nod our heads to them. But there's a reality to these scriptures that says we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. That's not just a simple phrase. That is a statement that says and establishes a king over a kingdom. That he has paid the price, the necessary to be in that position. To be the king and the sovereign over us. Our lives should be defined by that statement the king commanded. Whatever happens within the building of this temple, whatever happens within the actions of this kingdom should begin, and we should acknowledge and be very ready to receive that, that the king commanded. He tells us to love one another. He tells us to love him. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. He tells us these things. He speaks these commands to us, and we understand them. The building of a kingdom began with that phrase, the king commanded. The beginning of all truly divine activity starts right there. It is the prerequisite of all the supernatural changes that will ever occur in our life. Again, why would that be? Think about that for just a second. Let me read that again. That the king commanded, that phrase, is the prerequisite of all the supernatural changes that will occur in our life. Where does all supernatural things have to begin? It has to begin in him. It has to be his will. It has to be his sovereign will. If it's going to happen and be supernatural, it's going to be because he ordered it. It's because it was his will. He spoke it. The king said. And so there is a result from the king speaking. There was great zeal within everything that was going on in the building of this temple, simply waiting on the king's command. What should be the condition of our heart as we wait? I mean, when I talk often, especially in my office, trying to get people to understand how they can hear the voice of God, that that's not something that's just elusive or designed for a few, that he has a desire to speak to his children. What should be our condition, our situation as we wait each day to hear that voice or for the move of the spirit within us? If you read the rest of this chapter, you would realize that there was great zeal in the part of those who were... It says that Solomon required a levy of 30,000 men. And they would go 10,000 at a time for a month to, to work and to bring these timbers home. And then they would come back for two months and then they would go back. There was, there was a rotation of 10,000 men. And there was great zeal in the building of this kingdom. Great zeal as they waited on the command from the king. It says in this passage there was neither pause nor hesitation. What's necessary in the building of a kingdom? We hear his voice, there is no pause, and there is no hesitation. The building of a kingdom happens because the king said. What we do without the king's command is nothing more than our best ideas hoping to get God's approval. If we move without that command, if we move without the voice of God, What we're doing is we're moving on the best idea that we can come up with and asking God to approve what we've just discovered. Unfortunately, that is the normal Christian life. Coming up with an idea, looking at the idea, and trying then to express it and say, God, we'd like your stamp of approval on that which we have decided to do. Because most of us as Christians don't have the patience to let God speak first. We have a tendency to want to do more before God ever asked us to do it. So there was an order of how this was going to be built. There had to be salvation for us. There has to be baptism for us because that's how the equipping comes. But they started where we all should start. It says they started now to build the foundation. So if you're going to build a kingdom, and this is really what this is about, when we read those two verses... And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. Why was there so much attention to the foundation? I want to tell you, when we were building houses, when Don and I were building houses, where we would spend the majority of our concentrated time, and fortunately we had a concrete guy to work for us, but we would spend so much time, When they would lay the forms, we would measure and measure and measure across and measure forward and backward because we knew we were going to have to build on whatever foundation they laid, good or bad. We would have very little choice because when that was done, it determined what was going to be built on it. If that foundation is not laid properly, then the structure built on it will not be built well. I want to tell you, we have been awful as believers, as pastors, as teachers, laying a correct foundation. Because we have said for a long time, in its simplicity it's true, that the foundation of the Christian life is this prayer that we pray to God and ask Him to come be our Savior. And that because of that, someday we get to go to heaven. What kind of a house are we going to be able to build on that? When we have left out of the story that God speaks, where that God equips us as sons, that God cleanses us of our sin, but he also cleanses us so that the cup can now be filled by the Spirit of God. If we leave all those pieces out, what kind of building are we going to be able to build? We have done a relatively poor job laying out the foundation story so that we can actually build something of strength and significance and splendor and majesty on top of it. Couldn't do it because the foundation was not built. But the size and the shape of that foundation, whatever you want your Christian life to look like, I want to promise you it's built on the foundation that was laid in you a long time ago. Whatever you think it's supposed to look like, it's built on a foundation that is of that size and of that shape. It is the building strength of a kingdom that never shows. It's what allows us to build a kingdom within our own hearts first. So that we, we can be a participant in the building of this kingdom of heaven. That it is the building of that foundation. And you hear me talk about this from time to time. I like the services where I watch the spirit of God move. And I see people come and they receive the things that God intends for them. I love those services. But so many services are about pouring concrete. Forming something solid in us so that we can continue to build because I can't build on on a foundation that is frail. I can't teach hard things. I can't talk about the kingdom of heaven the way that I do if the foundation is not solid. It, It creates something way too fragile. So notice, some of the stones were called great stones. Very specific, three types of stones brought in to build this foundation. What do you think the great stones would bring? What characteristic would they bring that, that would be necessary in the building of a structure on top of it They bear the weight? They're going to bring the strength. They are distinguished and they are large. And I want to tell you that if we're going to do this and then those stones that hold the weight are going to have to be in place, though I don't have this in any kind of notes, I would probably label one of those stones, those great stones, has to be faith. Those great stones, if we're going to do the foundation right, has to be love. But it also says that there were costly stones. It's the stones that make the structure precious. I would say that those costly stones would be labeled things like forgiveness. That those would be respect. That there would be those stones that when they are placed within the foundation would allow you to do something above that. You know, it's kind of strange and my mind kind of goes to the picture of a building because so much of the foundation is designed to simply hold the weight. But sometimes there are features within a home that the specifics of the foundation have got to be done so that that special feature can be built. And you have to do it when you're doing the foundation or you won't be able to do that which is significant and special within the building of the structure. That's what those precious stones build. But I was amazed by the last one, the hewed stones, shaped for a very, very specific use. The scripture that I read this morning, that says that all of these things, the body would be joined, fitted together, so that we would recognize that one piece was impacting and compacting another. And that every one of us, every piece of us within this building are necessary because we won't have the strength. If what you contribute is not here, we won't have the strength of whatever God has called you to. And he's called us all to something different. So by the diversity of what he's called us to, we will together be stronger than any one part of us. That is certainly his design. What are those huge stones? It's the ones that make the strong ones fit with the precious ones. It's what allows these things to be able to lean against each other. I would call those huge stones unity. I would call those things unanimity. Those things that cause us, allow us to be properly fit together, to build a foundation so that when anybody looking would look at the fabulous structure built on it, never see the foundation and all that was in it. But we know that all of those stones labeled across with the boldness of God his holiness, the purity of God, the strength of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, labeled across these great stones is what allows this all to fit together. How successful would we be if you removed the stone of grace? The structure could not stand. What if we removed the stones that were labeled love? What would happen to this structure? It could not stand. I'll tell you that That God knew what he was doing. He knows what he's doing in the building of a kingdom. And I hope that you know that we cannot be the kingdom of God if we're not willing not to do, but to be in the kingdom, what he made us to be. Some are people of faith. Some are people of great mercy and of, of amazing grace. We bear these things within us because, again, where is the foundation of this if the kingdom is in our hearts? Where do all of those things have to be found in us? For that kingdom to be built in our hearts, then that foundation must be found there as well. All of those things. I don't get to exclude any. I don't get to be a person who's right but unjust. I don't get to be a person who, who can speak the truth but not in love or without grace and mercy. If I'm not found in each one of them, then the foundation that the kingdom is being built on first in my heart shared with our hearts, then this kingdom within me won't stand. And what you'll see is a fragment, a fragile piece of a kingdom that has no splendor, that has no majesty, because our foundation was not properly laid. I teach you the deep things that God gives me. I don't hold back, even though sometimes I I don't fully understand what I'm talking about. None of you are surprised by that, right? Right. That doesn't come as a shock to anyone that often I don't know what I'm talking about. God speaks things to me that I'm speaking to you that I'm learning them as I'm speaking. I speak them because you deserve to have a foundation built in you that will hold the structure so that your life will be seen as the magnificence and the majesty and the splendor of God. Please don't believe that that is unfair for you to believe about yourself. God said it. God did it. And then how amazing it is for each one of us with that kingdom that we understand because it's one person big. What happens when that kingdom joins with the kingdom within you and we begin to see the kingdom of heaven in the fullness of it, the full breadth of a man, the full width, the fullness of Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be fitly joined together because he gave us those huge stones. What do we read in 1 Corinthians 3? This is where we'll end. What does he tell us? when he's having this conversation with them about whether Paul or Apollos is supposed to lead them. And Paul's answering this. And he says, you're trying to understand something that shouldn't be understood because it doesn't matter whether I'm leading or Apollos is leading some plant and some water, what you're recognizing. And then he's very specifically saying, upon what foundation can this structure be built? He says, there is none other What does he identify in 1 Corinthians 3 as the foundation that we're we're building on? It's Jesus Christ. If you want to have all of those characteristics of faith, of mercy and goodness, I'm not sending you to the bank or down to the store to try to purchase them so that you'll have them as part of the aggregate that makes up your foundation. What's the call? Who's the only one who can do this? Who is the stone that is huge? Who is the stone that is strong? Who is the stone that allows this thing to fit together? Who is the stone that allows us to be precious? 1 Corinthians 3 tells us very clearly, that's in like verse 9 or 10, there's no other foundation. I can't go out and find the composites of all those different things and try to bring them in to create the aggregate to build something strong. I recognize that all of those characteristics are found within one person. His name is Jesus. Build on him. Build on that foundation. And the structure then will look just like the foundation. We get to build a structure on it that's defined by the size, the breadth, the width, the length of the one who is the foundation. Then our building will look just like him. Any other foundation, we're going to build something that the world does not want. But if he builds it, he will draw all men to it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight For the simplicity of this message, but the reality of what Solomon understood in the building of this temple. The building of a kingdom. That everything in it was designed with a purpose. And he speaks here in these early days of the building of this foundation. All because the king commanded. All because there was a voice that established something. We thank you for the zeal as they waited for the king's word for the preparation of the craftsmen who would go, and for those who would go and work so diligently. But we know, Lord, it was because the king commanded. We thank you, Lord, as we look at this Old Testament picture that we can bring the truth and the relevance of it into our story today because we are now members of that kingdom. Not someday, right now. Right now, in your kingdom. Right now, recognizing That everything we do right now has an eternal impact. Everything. Whether we say yeses or nos, obey or disobey, it's having an eternal consequence. So Lord, find us faithful. Find us ready. Find us full of zeal as we wait on your word. And when we hear it, let that zeal turn into passion. Turn into intimacy. Let us receive the faith that you're giving us, the faith of the Son of God, the love of the Son of God, the kindness of the Son of God, your grace and mercy. Let it be evident as a foundation that they may not ever see, but they'll see the building. They'll see our life and they'll be drawn to it, not because of us, but because you said that you would draw all men to you. We thank you, Lord, for the promises found within this, the instruction that we receive. We thank you.